This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Jay Scott, and it is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Welcome back. Thanks again for listening. We do appreciate it. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, the official podcast platform for Metallica. So check out their podcast on Pantheon Podcast, as well as all the other music-related podcasts as well. You can find them at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods. And you can do the same with the Hook Rocks. Just search up the Hook Rocks and I'll three of those platforms and like subscribe or follow us on any podcast platform that you do or have on your phone, any app that you have. Don't forget to download that app to automatic download. So you get the latest episodes right to your phone. We've had some really cool episodes recently. We just had Aaron Jones, the great new artist who just finished up his tour with the Rolling Stones. We just did our quarterly album review. We ranked the top 10 albums of the quarter. We also had Wendy Dio talking about the special edition of dreamers never die and as well, throughout the year, we've had our 500th episode with Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick, Nita Strauss on our four-year anniversary, as well as George Lynch, Kip Winger, Rick Nielsen, and Richie Kotzen, and more. Scott Gorman, Don Jameson episode was a lot of fun, too, as well. So check all those out. And it's time again for our annual celebration of the life of Eddie Van Halen. As you know, he passed three years ago on October 6th. And uh, it's still, you know, it, it still resonates that he's no longer here because he had such an impact uh, in my life. You guys know the story that I tell the first time I heard Van Halen one first time I heard eruption. I was like seven years old and I was this young kid. And my brother was at school and I was homesick. Got done watching the great space coaster. My mom was cleaning the house and I went in and I grabbed the album, put the headphones on and that was it. I was done. It was incredible. It was the age of Star Wars and hearing this eruption instrumental was just absolutely incredible. And our first year we did this, we had the author, Greg Runoff, who, you know, has written Van Halen Rising and the Ted Templeman book. Last year we had the amazing rock journalist, Matthew Wake, who's a great friend of the show too as well. And this year we've got another special guest who I'm really happy to have. 
And it's going to offer a different perspective of what Eddie meant to guitar players and the music scene in the 80s in Hollywood. Uh, and I'd like to welcome the legendary guitar player of the legendary band L.A. Guns, Mr. Tracy Guns. How are you, man? I'm doing good. And uh, I think they're doing military helicopter drills above the house right now. So so if I get up for a second, it's because i got to close the windows, right? As Wait. soon as we logged in, I heard, I'm like, great. Well, every once in a while, you'll hear my dog bark in an episode, too. So I got him out of the room today. So he's, uh, <laughs> Okay, great. <laughs> and I think the mail has already come. So I think we might be good with that. But okay. thank you for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Um, like I said, it's going to give us a little bit of a different perspective because you were there. You were you were like the, you know, the, the, in the aftermath of him yeah. playing in his first album. And, you know, we all heard the story of how he changed guitar. He changed the tone and we all heard it. Mm-hmm. But when people say that to people like you and people that lived it as a guitar player, yeah. what did that change mean to you? Well, it was heavy because <clears throat> I think I was 12 when the record came out and I was on my way home from, uh, summer camp in the San Bernardino mountains and I was listening to KMET and a eruption came on and I was like, what is this? And I'd been playing guitar since I was five or six years old. You know, and I was at that age, I was, I was ripping and uh, what, what is this? You know, and everybody on the bus, I remember just shut up and they were like, what the hell is this? And then the debate immediately followed well, that was keyboards, you know, kind of, and I'm like, I don't think so. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that was keyboards. So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, my brain was focused on eruption and then, you know, you really got me came on after. And then, you know, we knew that's how the discussion started is that, Oh, you know, this is a band and this band Halen and, you know, wow. Okay. So I get home, my mom picked me up, and then I was going to my dad's for the weekend, and we were in the truck, and uh, it came on again, eruption into You Really Got Me. I'm like, Dad, we got to go get this record right now. And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's go. We got it. And that same day, I bought some purple Alva wheels for my skateboard, and it was raining, and I built a half pipe in my dad's living room. So, th- So I remember the day I got that record, like, it was yesterday and you know i'm skating in the living room listening to the lp of van halen one just in in heaven you know and i'm like trying to even then articulate what's going on with the guitar on that record you know 12 years old i'm just like man you know god you know i gotta learn this you know like what is this and at the time, I was so heavily into Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath that it was a jolt, right? Because Tony Iommi and Jimmy Page were as heavy as it got. You know, it, it was, um, this was more focused. It was darker and it didn't have the experimental depth of Led Zeppelin, meaning, you know, there wasn't a bunch of weird overdubs and, and, you know, kind of studio exploration. It was, you know, straight ahead. Um, the guitar was dark. The drums were big and floppy. And David Lee Roth was like, like, what, what the hell's going on here? And then, 
you know, like when On Fire came on and I heard Michael Anthony's voice, you know, screaming so high, it was just like mind blowing, completely mind blowing, completely changed my, you know, if, if, if I was, you know, a motherboard for a computer, like it just got upgraded. You know, that's, that's the best way I can describe it. It's like, okay, you know, I can play the solo to Heartbreaker and Whole Lot of Love and, you know, Iron Man. Now I got to learn Eruption. Like, okay, you know, like level up the whole, the whole deal. So I did and, and I more adopted his style and sound, um, than learning anything note for note. I've never been a guy that really learns anything note for note other than some Randy Rhodes stuff because it's really, Randy Rhodes stuff was uh, less improvised, you know what I mean? Like more structured. But Eddie's stuff, <clears throat> I knew that it was blues-based, you know, and I knew that a lot of what he did came from, you know, rehearsing and jamming with the band and, you know, kind of feeling his way through it. But he had such a different feel. So for me, it was more about getting that sound and still doing what I already did, but just making it heavier and darker. So that's what it lent to me. Um, and the songwriting was out of this world. It was perfect. You know, it was still along the lines of the Kinks and the Beatles, um, pop songs almost, you know, in a way, like, you know, stuff that's real broad and, and anybody can, you know, recognize that the songs are great. It's just that it had this bionic guitar playing, you know, behind it. And, and you know, and beyond that, the, the little, tricky time changes and stuff that, that Eddie and Alex were able to do, you know, because they had the same DNA, um, like a little bit later, um, was just like scary. Like there's some stuff that rhythmically, um, with the time signature changes that I would never be able to learn, you know, and the bands that I've seen that do those, you know, the, uh, cover bands, tribute bands that do it, they kind of get those things right. But I think that, you know, there's something to be said for the DNA between brothers, um, you know, writing little tricky parts within, you know, a three piece, you know, musical band. And, um, but those things are very, uh, influential, you know, they're inspiring, you know, um, cause I was writing since I was a little kid and, you know, putting pieces together. Um, uh, you know, for me, I write music, you know, I, I create music, you know, I don't write lyrics or anything. So it's always a puzzle, you know, every song I write, it's a puzzle of, of bits and pieces and cool stuff. And, you know, at that time, Eddie was the best puzzle putter together guy. <laughs> it's the best way to describe him. At that moment, though, you didn't know that he was tapping, right? Because you go no. the music. No. And, and that was such a different approach. When did you discover that that was what he was doing? I discovered it because it was such a phenomenon in L.A. Um, you know, they they would talk about it on the radio, you know, okay, eruption. So he's doing this two-handed tapping thing. And I still had no idea what it was, you know. Um, and I remember going into uh, West L.A. Music, which was on Hollywood Boulevard at the time. And there was some guy playing Eruption, you know, an old guy, probably 21 or 22 years old. You know, <laughs> like, like, who's that old guy playing that? They were playing Eruption, you know? And I watched him and then I saw what he was doing and I was like, whoa, all right. You know, because 
I never saw Eddie play when I, when I was that age, you know, but a lot of people had, you know, a lot of people had seen Eddie play, you know, the Starwood and the, the you know, backyard parties and, and, you know, club gigs and stuff. So, you know, guitar players at that age, they, they were aware of what Eddie was doing in LA because they saw him do it. Um, and I remember somebody telling me, you know, when I was in high school, like after kind of like women and children first came out. Oh yeah, I used to see Eddie play in the clubs, man, and he would turn his back when he would do that stuff. I was like, no, he didn't. <laughs> That's ridiculous, you know. Um, but yeah, the tapping thing, I saw it, and um, so immediately I went home and I just started going doing 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 doing. <laughs> you know, like it took a long time to get a grasp on what that was, and I kind of knew better, you know, through you know my early career not to do that because it would be so associated with something that that even though eddie isn't like the originator of it he's he certainly brought it into you know public vision in his own way where you just it's such a signature thing for him to do and i think he he knew that you know that's the thing about eddie and we'll get into that in a little bit is, is his self-awareness as a as a player um and the things that he owned but you know, there's just certain things you don't do, you know, and Tom Morello kind of has that thing with, uh, you know, his whammy pedal and stuff like that. You know, I mean, you, you just don't do certain things, you know, you don't overdo it at least because it's, you just don't, you can't own it because it's so unownable. Right. Well, you mentioned about, you know, doing what he was doing. There were other people that were doing it. He wasn't the first to do it. You know, guys mm -hmm. like George Lynch were doing it. Stephen Lynch was doing it too as well. Mm -hmm. Did you know of those other players at that time too? Yeah, I did. I did, uh, especially those two guys. And I'm pretty sure that they saw Eddie do that before they did it. You know, um, George in particular uh, was right there in the thick of things with Randy and, and Eddie and Greg Leon. You know, a lot of people don't know about Greg Leon, but Greg Leon was as equal a force in the LA scene as those three guys, you know? Um, uh, but Greg never did that. Greg was just straight out melt your face, man. <laughs> you know, to this day, you know, I'll never forget watching Greg Leon play, but, but George, um, George's thing was the, you know, he, he was in other people's bands kind of, you know what I mean? So he, he didn't have the, the luxury of like, Hey, this is my shit. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, it was always somebody else that was, supposedly the focal then george would play and be like god damn that guy's a, a monster and with with steve lynch um you know he was an autograph and autograph was a a milder version of all the heavy rock that was happening and they were great but steve didn't get the recognition um that like george and eddie and randy got you know um but yeah there were there were guys doing it and um you know i'm trying to stay in my you know, 13, 14, 15 year old timeline right now. That's when I saw all these guys play. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really, without Eddie, guitar would not have become as focused. I don't think, you know, that's, that's kind of the difference between Eddie and Hendrix is Hendrix was an explorer. You know what I mean? Like he was taking, you know, blues and soul and horn music and, um, taking it as far as his brain would allow him to go in different directions, you know, and, and riffs and, you know, the fuzz pedal and, and things like that as to where 
you know, Eddie had, you know, 10 extra years of other influences, you know, beyond Hendrix. Uh, because there's some early videos of, uh, Eddie playing live where, you know, he, he was big, big Hendrix influence there, you know? Um, but he was able to focus it and his sound and his sound was so important to what identified Eddie, you know, especially on record, you know, it's just like, whoa, okay, that's Eddie Van Halen, you know, so, you know, he did his, his homework and his, you know, kind of little scientific brain making his sound and he pretty much stuck to it all the way through, really. After you started to hear his body of work with, with the first album and beyond, we all knew Alan Holdsworth was a big influence on him, but also yeah. Billy Gibbons and Eric Clapton when he was in Cream were two major influences of his as well. Did that surprise you where that stuff came from? Eddie was a smart guy. And Eddie was the king of knowing what he was going to say about his guitar playing in interviews. Not to narc Eddie out, but I mean, but you know, Eddie liked Paige, man. You know, <laughs> he even kind of ripped Paige early, you know, like kind of said like, you know, fuck that guy kind of thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, the Clapton thing was all about cream. You know, uh, I think some people take it as, you know, fucking Eddie was influenced by Lay Down Sally. No, he fucking wasn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and he was into Hendrix and he was into Iomi. He was into Richie Blackmore. You know, he was, he was into the stuff that me and you did. Uh, the Holdsworth thing, I think that was a claim, you know, because Holdsworth was a force. You know, he was an extreme force for the technical side of guitar playing and Eddie was good friends with him. Um, as Eddie was good friends with Steve Lukather. I, I, I would say that I would think. Um, just from knowing the, those guys, I didn't know Alan, but I think that Lukather probably had a much bigger impact on Eddie than Alan Holdsworth, you know, as, as playing buddies and stuff like that. There's, I don't hear any Holdsworth and Eddie's playing at all. Um, and, you know, I spent enough time with him where, you know, Eddie's not a fucking nerd, man. <laughs> He's a badass. Yeah, 100% badass, trust me. Getting back to when you first heard it, was it was there a sense of intimidation of hearing this stuff? Was it like so new that like you were so curious? Was there an ever a moment where you felt like how am I going to play that? It's impossible to play that. Or was it the challenge of trying to figure it out? For me, you know, growing as a guitar player in my early teens, I was always about atmosphere. It was always about sound, right? I got into the guitar because Jimmy Page played theremin on a whole lot of love in the middle section. And I was like more absorbed with that when I first heard it. And then the solo comes in in a whole lot of love with that really bitey, you know, fuzz, uh, uh, what the fuck is a fuzz tone? It's a maestro fuzz tone pedal. And, it's all about the sound, you know, and if the guy's got soul that I'm listening to with some kind of unique sound or something I never heard before, <clears throat> it's more about invent reinventing that sound for me. You know, it's always been about, you know, um, channeling 
this inspiration and putting it all together for myself, you know, and, and Eddie at the time, like I was saying earlier, his focus, you know, and so I wasn't intimidated. I was like, well, that's a giant puzzle piece, you know, like that's, here's another guy that does his own thing that, um, which I don't really hear a lot of influence other than, you know, the ones that we talk about, you know, Cream, Zeppelin, Hendrix, and Sabbath, you know, and, and, you know, he, he's the type that really wanted to own his style. You know, Eddie really wanted to be, Hey, I'm Eddie. I make funny looking guitars and put, you know, stripes all over them. And, and I smile and I'm into this and I'm fucking great at what I do, you know? And he always owned that, you know, he never, never shied away from it. You know, he had a 59 Les Paul hanging up in his guitar room, you know, he had all the right stuff, but you know, he wanted to be unique. You know, that was his goal was to be unique. And he was, and it was very natural for him. And, uh, interesting is that people always give Randy Rhodes a lot of credit for being almost an accomplished classical player, but he wasn't. Uh, he wanted to be, he was, you know, trying to get there and where Randy was very expressive with classical music. Um, those were his inventions taken from, you know, things that he had heard and he was amazing at it where Eddie actually did have a pretty thorough classical music training. Um, but he sounds like a, a bionic blues guy, you know? And, um, I always loved that. I, and, and, you know, I'll get into, you know, my relationship with, with Eddie, you know, coming up here, but, um, yeah, he was really good at, at, at creating a perception of what he wanted the world to think of him. You obviously talked about eruption and what that meant to you hearing that. What did you think of when you first heard him, his, his rhythm playing? Cause that's one of the things that, I don't think it's talked about enough is how much of an incredible rhythm guitar player he was. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really the thing. And, you know, we, yeah, we do talk about eruption and, you know, his guitar solos, but if you really listen to like, you know, 80% of his solos, they're rhythmic. His guitar solos are rhythmic, you know, and I mean, he might end, you know, a run with a, you know, kind of a thing, you know, that, that tremolo picking thing, double picking, but he had an incredible amount of soul in his right arm, you know, in his, in his body, you know, um, you know, all the chunkas, you know, which is like really prevalent on like appetite for destruction slash really has that kind of right hand that, you know, it's chunka, which is very soulful, you know, um, and, you know, when you really get down to it, you know, um, you know, through the force, the first four records, um, the riffs are pretty simple. They're just real inventive, you know, and his rhythm playing has a lot to do with that attraction to it. You know, it's very, uh, pulls the heartstrings, you know, right away. Um, where a lot of guys that are great guitar players don't have that. They might be really great rhythm players, but they're not unique. You know, they don't stick out in a way. Like Angus Young is a fucking amazing rhythm player, you know, great solo, but great rhythm, you know, and, um, 
I think that's what guys like my age and older really absorbed Hendrix because Hendrix was all about that kind of rhythm and, you know, muting and, you know, scratching and, and upstrokes and, um, you know, there's always been a, a thing among teachers that are, you know, 10, 15 years older than me where you only use your wrist, you know, you don't use your arm. So um, when you use your wrist and your right hand, you have a lot more control tonally over what you're going to do over the pickups, you know, with muting and, you know, scratching and, and plucking and things like that. Um, Eddie's thing was really interesting too, because he didn't rest his fingers on the, on the guitar. You know, he, he kind of held his guitar pick like a, like a claw, uh, but he was still able to play super funky, you know, um, which I can't do that, you know, but, but, but he did. And I also think that's also what made his rhythm style very unique to him. What was it like the first time you saw him live? Fuck, man. That was the first rock concert I ever saw, you know, um, in, a, in an arena. I, I saw Jackson 5 and, and Earth, Wind & Fire when I was six with my mom. But the first concert I ever went to was the Women, Children and First concert with my cousin Willie. And he had won – the album had just come out, and he had won um, Guitarist of the Year, Guitar Player Magazine for the second year in a row. And that's how the show started. Um, David Lee Roth walked out on stage and was like, I'd like to introduce the guitar player of the year two years in a row, Mr. Avery Halon. And he comes sliding down this fucking ramp on stage left, you know, running and then sliding. And he's just, you know, whittle, 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 whittle. You know, just being Eddie. That was my introduction to Eddie Van Halen live, man. And then they went into, it was the fucking to this day still blows my mind like like holy fuck what is going on up there you know what i mean it was so impactful and so much energy like dark energy man i mean i'm just gonna put it how it is that's dark energy that was like you know sabbath on crack just so great man so great i'll never forget it yeah, what an opener. Romeo Delight is one of my favorite. Yeah, that, yeah, songs. Romeo's Delight. Yeah. yeah. Fuck, fuck me, man. <laughs> Such a badass tune. But yeah. as you're, you know, you're hearing him for so many years playing on the albums and the, I'm, I'm sure like the mystery and the lore is growing because back in the day, that's what it was right. really based on because you didn't have the internet mm. and you only had five channels on TV, right? And you just yeah. had radio and there was like this mystique about these guys. Well, with Eddie, you know, I mean, he was on the cover of every magazine instantly, you know, and you could read his interviews and stuff. And, uh, you know, I remember the, uh, the claim, and I talked about this with him too. You know, we were playing golf one day. He goes, he goes Hey, Tracy. I'm like, what? He goes, You know how old I was on the first record? I go, Yeah, 21, 22, something like that. He goes, I was 25, man. You know, like, like, he was so cool with me, you know, just like, cause he knew that, that he could get a laugh out of me, you know, cause I, cause, you know, we just had that kind of very sarcastic, uh, you know, childlike connection. You know, we had a lot of fun ago, but you know, 
He did create Mystique and created things in the press that he knew somehow had the wow factor. You know, so the Mystique was huge. By the time I saw him play, you know, reading the interviews and stuff, you know, I thought he was 23 the first time I saw him play. I'm like, God, that guy's 23 and I'm 17 and, you know, blah, blah, blah. How am I going to be like that by the time I'm 23? You know, all this stuff. But none of that mattered, you know. It was just—it's got to be the only concert where I was just glued to the stage the whole time. Like I couldn't—I'd never seen nobody had ever seen anything like that, <clears throat> you know. With Roth with his antics, and you know Michael Anthony with the Jack Daniels bass, you know, hitting it with his fist, you know. And I was in the Motley Crew, you know. They were playing clubs and they were fucking great, you know. They had that dark energy too. But not like Van Halen, man. I was like, whoa. And I remember seeing Roth, uh, you know, at those Motley Crue shows. He even introduced them a couple times at the Troubadour. <clears throat> and I would just stare at those guys. I didn't even know what to say when I'd see them, you know, like in the bars. I'd just be like, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, they fuck a lot of chicks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, like it was so, so taboo, you know, I was so innocent in a way at that age. You know, that changed quickly, though. I, I still remember seeing them live for the first time when MTV had them on the Us Festival. Mm. I was eight years old at the time, and I just remember the whole show was mesmerizing. But the, I mean, the crowd was just incredible. Yeah, I was and, there. Oh, that was, I mean, you know, it's hard to believe that that was 40 years ago this year. And I can fuck that, man. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to break it to you, Tracy, but that was. Yeah. Well, here, here's an Eddie Van Halen perspective, right? We're talking about that's 40 years ago. I started hanging out with Eddie in uh, the end of 91. And I was. I don't know how old was I, 20, like just about 26, 25, 26. And Eddie was like 11 years older than me. Um, so he was 37, right? 38. And I'm like, man, he looks so young for being an old guy. Right. Like I thought Eddie Van Halen was old when, when he was 37, you know, we're playing golf and shit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, I'm hanging out with the older Eddie Van Halen. Like that's what you think when you're young. You know what I mean? Now I'm 57. Now I'm 20 years older than he was when I thought he was old. You know, so it's it's just wild, man. And I and I think that you know playing the guitar, uh, the way that we approach it is kind of like, you know, the Benjamin Button kind of alchemy. It's <laughs> the kind of magic that just keeps you very immature for some reason because, you know, my dad said, I remember walking in the plumbing shop. My dad owned a plumbing shop uh, when we got signed and I was 20 and I walked in and I told him, he goes, well, this is the last day you're going to mature. You know, this, this is it. You're going to be 20 forever, you know, if things work out, you know, and he wasn't lying. And, you know, it was funny for my dad to say that because he wasn't the most introspective guy, you know, he was like, oh, well, that's the end of that, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. 
but he was right, you know, and Eddie Van Halen was a great example of that. Um, very much lived his life, you know, his way, did the things that he enjoyed. Um, you know, he's, he's a good guy, man, you know, and, you know, he dabbled a little too much in certain stuff, I guess, you know, I tried to, I always try to ignore that with my friends, you know, cause I just don't, I don't want to be involved. I don't want to, you know, that's real dark. You know, I just haven't ever gone there, you know, but most of my friends have or do or whatever. Um, but yeah, man, you know, you know, it's always weird um, talking about Eddie when he's not around anymore, you know, because when he was alive, if I would have talked about him, like I'm looking, I have this uh, Guitar World article that Michael Sweet and I did about Eddie. It's on the wall in front of me, and, and Eddie like wrote some shit on there. Um, I will always tell him, you know what I mean? I go, hey, man, you know, I, I got a big mouth, and I said this in this interview and stuff like that. And he, he always go, I know. <laughs> you know, like he was so cool with me. Um, you know, we didn't really have social boundaries with each other. You know, he called me at four in the fucking morning, you know, after having a couple, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm fucking sleeping. <laughs> I'll wake up. <laughs> like, why? He goes, I want to make sure you're picking me up at 830. I go, not if I don't sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, he's just a good buddy like that. You know, it's like, you know, but then, you know, the chemistry of, you know, definitely one of my top three guitar heroes you know, becoming friends with him at that age, you know, it was just like fucking mind blowing. So I had to suppress those feelings, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and I've got to be friends with like some of my heroes and even be in bands with some of them. And it's always, you know, psychologically, you have to put that out of your mind, you know, that this person impacted me in such a heavy way that I can't even make it a reality to be in the same room, let alone, you know, cutting farts in the same car. You know what I mean? What? Well, I'll start with this question about your relationship with him. I've always read that he was very welcoming and very warm to guitar players in the community. Yeah. Without a doubt. What, know, was, that, um, what was that like when, you know, when you, when you experienced that warmth and generosity from him? It was interesting because it freaked me the fuck out, right? So originally, what had happened was, um, I wanted him, I had my manager, uh, Alan Kovac, call whoever his manager was. I wanted to, I was thinking about doing that band Killing Machine. And um, Eddie called me, like, within... 45 minutes of that idea, you know, on my, on my home phone, on the answering machine, <laughs> like, like, Hey, Tracy, this is Eddie. I heard you want to do a, a record and you want me to produce it or some shit like that. I don't know. Just call me. <laughs> you know, it was like one of those things, like nobody was in the room, <laughs> you know, like, Hey, did you hear that? You know, like I was by myself. I'm like, fuck. So, I call him, uh, like, hey, man, you know, what's going on? He's like, 
what are you up to? What are you doing? You know, you got to tell me about this. And I was like, like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I guess cocked and loaded had been out. Right. Yeah. Um, wait a minute. That's not how I met him. We were rehearsing for the cocked and loaded tour at, uh, hold on a sec. Send a voice. Um, we were rehe- at Leeds La Mobile out in the valley. And, uh, it was a really weird day. Alice Cooper was auditioning guitar players across the, the driveway. Iggy Pop was, uh, looking for a guitarist next door to our studio. And Eddie was working with the, his buddy, Matt Brook. Uh, Matt Brook had a band called Zen Boy and Eddie was working on that, uh, down the hall. I didn't know it. Um, but we're playing and Chief Mick Cripps guitar tech opens the door to our studio as we're playing and Eddie Van Halen falls in the room. He, he was listening to us through the door and, uh, I looked up and he, he just waves, you know, he's like, Hey guys, you know, like and then closed the door and went away. That was my first encounter with him. And I was like, did that really just fucking happen, you know? So anyway, so and I asked somebody in the hall, like, what's Eddie doing here? You know, oh, he's working with Zen Boy down at the end of the hall. I'm like, okay, I'll leave him alone. And maybe it wasn't even Zen Boy. Maybe it, I think it was some band that had a lady singer. I don't remember. But um then I walk across. My girlfriend was working at that studio, Paula. And uh, I walk across the driveway and Alice Cooper's in there and he pulls me aside. And I go, how's it going? You know? I, I think I was, I don't know how old I was, you know, 22, you know, still young, just off, you know, just finished recording Cocked and Loaded, getting ready to tour. So, um, I knew the drummer that was auditioning the guitar players. Um, but anyways, Alice just comes up to me and pulls me aside. He goes, he goes, he goes, Hey man, I know you're busy, you know, but you know, I wish you could do this gig, you know, and I uh, like, me too. <laughs> I wish I could do this gig too. You know, I'd love to do this gig. And then the next day, uh, Iggy's next door and he had this guy Whitey playing guitar for him. And, uh, he walks, he sees me in the hallway. Yeah, I know the fawns here. Let me, show you. the fawn, there's Fitz. <laughs> um, so Iggy, Gets me in the hall and he introduces himself as Jim. Hey, Tracy, you know, my name's Jim. I look at him. I didn't know Iggy Pop's name was Jim, you know. He goes, he goes, want to come in and have a jam? You know, and I'm like, I'm like, what's going on? You know, and he goes, well, you know, we got this guy Whitey playing guitar, but you know, he's, he can't do the, this tour. So, you know, I want to get a really cool guy like he, and he talks about, I have a documentary. That's never going to come out. I, maybe it will. Uh, but Iggy Pop talks about like the first time he meets me and stuff and sees me play. I didn't know. I didn't know any of these guys knew who the fuck I was. Um, and he's like, he's like, man, I'd love for you to just at least do this one tour. And I go, I can't, you know, I got to do this. So all this shit happened. And like, you know, they talk about, you know, uh, these, you know, kind of Native American energy spots. You know, up in the Malibu Hills and stuff like that. Well, that day, those two days for me, I must have been in one of those Native American energy spots because all this, 
really great positivity came my direction, got to meet these people. Um, and that's the first time I, I encountered Eddie was that way in a very innocent kind of way related to my guitar playing. Um, which, you know, as a 22 year old kid, you know, it's just like, you know, well, my ego can't get any bigger than it just did today. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, like, fuck, okay. I must be an okay guitar player at the minimum. Right. You know, cause we're all fucking insecure as hell, you know? So, so anyway, so then the thing with, I want him to produce my shit, but he, he just goes, well, Hey man, we're rehearsing at NRG uh, rehearsal studio. Come down, man. You know, let's hang out. You know, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. So I grabbed, uh, I grabbed this little Ibanez guitar that I had made that was very similar to his first, you know, what was it? Music man. Um, they had the, you know, three tuners on each side, whatever. I had four of them made. And I brought one over there and I go, I go, look, I made this guitar. I had the Ibanez making this guitar. It's a lot like yours. And he's like, holy shit, man. Let me check that out. And, and he had just got, his first well in his rig were you know the 5150 amps the first one he goes man you know you got to plug into these amps dude they're fucking killer blah 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 and zeke was working for him at the time zeke was always a dick to me i don't know why um so I plug in and i play i immediately play ain't talking about love wrong you know i don't i don't lift to the open high e string i just kind of stay on the f and he looks at me, he goes, he goes, no, 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 let me show you. And he walks up fucking behind me and plays it on my fucking guitar through his rig, you know, like this, lift your finger. And I'm like, okay, that just fucking happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, so, um, it didn't lead to us working together. You know, it, it, it led to us being friends and, you know, so from that point on, you know, he called me like a couple of days after. He goes, hey, do you play golf? And I go, yeah, I do play golf. You know, I had lessons and everything. And he's like, well, let's play golf. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I started hanging out, out up at the studio, um, at, at his studio, um, you know, going to play golf in the early mornings and, you know, doing stuff like that. And he was into drinking beer. I didn't actually our foursome, he was the only, I think maybe one of the other guys drank beer, but he drank beer and he would get mad, <laughs> you know, he'd yell at trees and shit. You know, uh, he was, he was so, uh, transparent and open emotionally. You know, he, you know, he was the real deal human. You know, he didn't try to suppress his feelings in, in, in any way or form. And then during that period of time, um, he had done an interview and he said, you know, Tracy guns has been coming up to the house, you know, man, he's a cool guy. And, you know, that was a big boost for me, you know, just from, from him saying that in this one interview. And, uh, so I go up there one day and I was looking at his super leads, you know, he still had them and he had just got like a new, the new PV, 5152, like some other upgrade of his amp. And he's like, he's like, man, you got to check this one out. Da, da, da. So I brought my Charvel up. I had a, uh, you know, a real early Charvel. It looks like the Futone I'm playing right now. It's like crimson red, 
uh, two pickups, you know, Floyd, like really, really solid guitar. I brought that up there. And, uh, Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. You know, I said, hey, man, you know, thanks for fucking talking about me in that article. Man. That was like really unexpected. And I I didn't know you felt that way about my guitar playing. He goes, oh, you're a killer, man. You know, he's like so generous that way. You know, just like you're a fucking killer. And so we we plugged my Charvel into the new the new amp. And he's like, oh, what are those pickups? You know, like, I think they're Seymour Duncan's. You know, you know those fucking sound great. You know, and uh so we put one of his guitars on and I started playing, uh, some Eddie Van Halen shit, you know, he goes, why do you always do that? I want to hear your shit. You always mock me. And now you're at my house and you're mocking me. I'm not mocking you. you know what, I mean? what do you mean I'm mocking you? He goes, he goes, come on, man. You know, so he was a little sensitive about that. You know, like, like maybe he'd let you get away with it once. You know what I mean? But don't play my shit in front of me, you know, kind of, kind of thing. And, and anyways, um, that that the head sounded fucking killer and he had it plugged in to uh two Marshall cat like old basket weave cabinets in this little room. It wasn't in the main studio room, it was like in a little isolation booth. We just sat there dicking around on the guitar, tweaking the amp for a while. And I thought to myself, Hey, you know, you got a bunch of Marshalls still, right? And he's like, he's like, Yeah, I love them, man. He goes, But I just can't get out of them what I need now. And I'm like, Wow. I was thinking, and I had a super lead and a plexi in my living room at home that I bought, uh, just kind of as, as an investment, you know, and cause I never really used, uh, non master volume Marshall's live. I couldn't afford them. I did, I did when I was in Guns N' Roses, like when I was really young, I had them. They were cheap at the time, but I got some mint ones in like 91, 92 or something. Anyways, so. Uh, I leave that day and he, we're playing golf the next day. So I decided, uh, cause he was going to, he hooked me up with the PV guys and 
to get amps and guitars and shit. Uh, can't remember that guy's name. He was real nice. But, um, so Eddie was being very generous. Like that was the question you asked. You know, he's like, Hey man, you know, the guys at PV love you, man. They want, you know, let's, let's get you hooked up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow. Okay. Like this is happening. You know, you know, Ed talks about me to mag being generous, giving the stuff. So next morning I threw those two marshals in the trunk of my car and, uh, it's early, man. Like, you know, eight in the morning and I'm over there. And, uh, he walks out of the house and he goes, Hey, how you doing, man? You ready? And I'm like, Oh man, I got a stomach ache, but yeah, you know, let's fucking do this. You know, I go, do me a favor. Can you grab my clubs out of the trunk of the car? And he just looked at me like I was speaking Chinese. It's like, what? I go, yeah, man. I just, my stomach, you know, can you just do me that favor? Just grab my bag out of the thing. I go, it's open. And, it was, you know, it was a little walk, like, you know, a hundred steps from where we were to my car. He's like, yeah, I guess, whatever, dude. And, okay. And he opens the trunk and he sees the two marshals. He goes, how am I supposed to get these clubs with these fucking marshals in the way? <laughs> and I'm like, those are yours. He goes, what? I go, I brought those for you. He's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. We didn't play golf that day. <laughs> You know, grabbed the marshals, we brought them up there, and that was really the first day I ever knew how to, you know, make a plexi work. You know, because in my living room, you know, I could turn them up to three, and they just sounded like clank, 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 clank. <clears throat> and he's like, no, nah, man, you just crank them all the way up and turn the bass off, man, stick your guitar in it. I was like, holy fucking shit you know like right there that was it and it wasn't that loud it's like it's like they're louder when they're not cranked because they're letting all this they're not compressed yet the tubes aren't compressed but when you crank them they get nice and smooth and they get that distortion that kind of brown sound that everybody describes eddie sound as he's these are perfect and i'm like they're yours and he's like really i'm like yeah man you know fuck it i don't know what the fuck i was using i think i had a bunch of pbs coming or something and so, you know, I felt like being generous back because that's how generous he was. I didn't want to feel like I was, you know, taken from the guy, you know, take it, you know, I didn't want to be that guy. So we ended up with those. And then um, we kind of didn't talk for a few months. And uh, he was trying to, to mix, uh, I think it was Live Without a Net, one of the, the Sammy live records. That, I guess that was it. And I was in Vegas with my girlfriend, Kristen. Um, and we get home and she listens to the answer machine and it's Eddie. And it's, you know, she's like, Eddie called, <laughs> you know, very passively. I'm like, every time that motherfucker would leave a message on my machine, I was instantly 12 years old on that school bus coming down from summer camp, you know, like, Oh man, what does he want, man? All right, cool. Fucking. I listened to the message and he's like, I'm in the studio. I need you up here. And I'm like, Oh fuck. So I called and he's like, Hey, I'm with, you know, Biff from the Westwood one truck. I'm like, I know Biff, you know, big, tall, super sarcastic engineer, you know, has recorded everybody in that truck, you know, chain smoking, you know, fucking, you know, listening to Van Halen come through, you know? So 
I'm like, yeah. He goes, he goes, you did this, this King Biscuit flower hour, man. And I, we're trying to remember how you got your guitar to split like that. I'm like, I'm like, Oh shit. Okay. I'll be right up. And, um, we pull up, he had a cassette of it and I'm listening to it and I go, I go, I know, I know what we did. And he goes, okay, what'd you do? Because Eddie had recorded, uh, whatever those recordings were in stereo kind of like he had two guitar tracks, you know, running simultaneously, you know, he was playing through two amps and, uh, but what my recording sounded like was like, I had to, I had to simulate it because something happened in the recording where I would run three mics live, three amps live. And one of the mics was dead. And when we listened back to the recording, when we were mixing that thing, uh, there was nothing on the track. And that was the, the track where I had my chorus pedal on, which created like a three dimensional kind of spatial sound live. And, uh, so what we had to do is, um, I didn't have a chorus pedal in the Westwood one truck when we were mixing it, but he had a harmonizer. And I remember hearing Chris Holmes did this thing with a harmonizer. I'm like, you know what, man? Uh, let's re-record the dry guitar on another track. And then we can, uh, put a harmonizer on it slightly out of tune. And that should have the chorus effect. Not only did it have the chorus effect, it really sounded fucking cool. It sounded better than the chorus thing. And I got that from Randy Rhodes because Randy Rhodes ran in stereo live. You know, he had a MXR chorus pedal where it was dry on one side and the chorus went to the other side. That was Randy's live sound. That was my favorite sound. So I figured if I could just do delay on one side and chorus on one side and in the middle have a dry cabinet that would be cool and that's what i did on whatever fucking tour that was and it sounded fat sounded really good and then i had the theremin running through a stereo delay through the other inputs of the amps so it was a little bit sophisticated and a lot of crap to carry around you know my you know whatever that was how it was back then um so anyways i go up there and Biff's like, what do we do? And I go, I go, this is what we did. And Eddie had two tracks recorded and, and I think he had like stereo delay. I think that was like what he was doing live then. Like he had a stereo delay sound. And, uh, so we took one of the tracks and they did it and they did the harmonizer thing and that kind of, was Eddie's thing like forever after that, you know, just that big, nice sound. And you really hear it on the Sammy Hagar stuff, you know, this like kind of chorus, you know, sound, um, which wasn't my favorite Eddie sound for sure. I mean, I, you know, I love the first four records, you know, that fucking just beat you in the fucking head with the guitar sound, you know? Um, but you know, that, that was our thing, you know, like, you know, we had trust and, 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 uh, you know, kind of mutual respect. And the last time I saw him was after he had hip surgery. Um, I had just come home from tour. I think it was 95 or 96, just come off a tour and someone had stolen all my CDs right off the front of the bus. You know, you know how you used to have a big book and all your CDs would go in the book. Someone had taken my, just stolen it in Salt Lake City. Like they must've just opened the bus door. It was right there and they took it like 150 CDs. So I was in music plus on Laurel Canyon Ventura 
and uh, going to buy my first two CDs again, you know, starting over. And uh, I was with Kristen, and uh, Eddie comes up behind me. <clears throat> he pulls on my shirt. He was on crutches. He's like, hey. I turn around. And, you know, he looked like he just had surgery, right? You know, he's just looked tired and out of it and on crutches. And what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, I told him the story. Someone stole my CDs and then, you know, I gotta, I gotta get this, <clears throat> you know, I'll start over. What are you going to get? You know, and this is how you're going to know what Eddie liked. And I'm like, well, I'm going to get Van Halen one. <laughs> you laugh. And I go, I'm not kidding. I am getting Van Halen one. Yeah. He goes, okay, fair enough. You know, fine. He goes, but what else are you going to get? Because you're going to get Randy Rhodes, uh, probably. Yeah, he goes, okay, well, what about the real shit? What are you going to get? What are you going to get? I, I don't know, man. What do you suggest? He goes, I know you love Paige, man. I go, I know you love Paige, man. He, and so we both look at each other. We go, physical graffiti. <laughs> that was that defining you know, moment. Physical graffiti <clears throat> coming out at the same time. So. I did. I got Blizzard of Oz, VH, uh, Van Halen one and physical graffiti that day. And that was, that was our mutual choice, you know, and I knew that, that he was going to say that because there was a, he always had a copy of the, it's a double CD. Uh, when you walked into uh 5150, like the little lobby area, he always had it out going through the stereo, you know, one of the CDs or the other, you know, that was like the first thing I ever noticed when I walked in there. Uh, and that was the last time we we hung out, and it was after that. And then you know I talked to him a couple times, and you know life does what life does, and that was it. And then uh, you know Adam Raver, Fu Tone, uh, real good friend of mine now for about eight years, seven years, and uh, he works with Matt Bruck and uh, doing that stuff. And we started talking about Eddie again a couple years before he died. And, I thought Eddie's cancer was gone, you know, and uh, we're talking one day. He goes, you know, Eddie's got the C again. And I'm like, wow, really? He goes, yeah, you know, it's kind of weird. You know, they they seem to be tackling it. It seems to be going all right. And I'm like, well, that's good to hear. And then another year went by and uh, I brought it up. Like, hey, man, you know, what's going up with that? Well, you know, what's going on with Eddie, you know? He goes, well, you know, now it's kind of like whack-a-mole. You know, like one comes up, they get rid of it. Time goes by, another one pops up. You know, the tumors. And uh like, fuck, man. So we knew, you know, it was a matter of time. And that was really sad. And and I was over in Denmark, you know, just had my kid over there. And I, I have a little band over there. And we rehearsed in the music store. And we were rehearsing. And, and Kristen, my my oldest son's mom texts me over there and she's like, Hey, Eddie died. And I was like, Whoa, 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 hold on a minute. And I stopped practicing. I went downstairs and called her. I was like, what do you mean? You know, she's like, oh, he died of cancer, you know, some hospital in Santa Monica or something. I'm like, wow. And I went upstairs and I told the guys and, you know, Van Halen wasn't like a big touring band in Europe, especially in Denmark. Um, and they're like, whoa, you know, Eddie Van Halen died. They know who he is, obviously. 
But I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you know. And so we played for another like two or three minutes. I was like, you know what, guys, you know, I gotta call this. Yeah, you know, I gotta go home, <laughs> you know. And I went home, and my apartment was eight flights up stairs. You know, my kid was uh, like six months old, seven months old. I get up there, man. It's like 1030 at night. Baby's asleep. My wife's asleep. And I just start puking and shitting and like fucking it hit me in such an intense like illness kind of way, you know, where it wasn't even emotional. It was like someone was pounding on my body. Um, I slept in the, on the bathroom floor that night, you know, and, and I told my wife when she woke up at like, you know, three in the morning, she's like, what are you doing? You know, are you okay? And I told her, Eddie Van Halen died. And I guess this is my reaction to, I don't know what's going on. And, uh, yeah. Then the next day I just remember, you know, being in Denmark, it's real cloudy and, you know, kind of windy. And we had, you know, skylight on the roof of our apartment. And I was just looking at it and I was just realizing that, you know, somebody that powerful of an influence on the entire rock scene um, influenced every guitarist. And I don't give a fuck what anybody says. You know, if, if, if you're over 35 years old and you play electric guitar, you're influenced by Eddie Van Halen either directly or indirectly period. Um, you know, his reach was so far. Uh, it's, it's not even up for debate, you know? And, um, so processing that, you know, and talking to Adam Raver, you know, that day when I woke up, um, you know, and he kind of let me know all the inside of what went on and everything. I was like, wow, you know, and I know how, upset you know al you know valerie and wolf they, you know it's just so hardcore so traumatic uh such a bringer of reality you know um to people that were close to him and his fans you know i mean my friend caleb who you know caleb um plays i've never heard anybody play eddie like that you know caleb is the the guy the nerd halen guy um, th that's what Caleb does, and when Caleb comes over and plays that Eddie stuff, man, it's just like, like fuck, man, you know, like how do you do that, you know? Because I never tried to play like Eddie, you know. He's had such a specific thing, and when I hear my friend Caleb play, it just brings it all back, you know, right away. Just like, man, you know, so cool. And Pete Thorne too, man. You know, he plays that Eddie stuff like it's nobody's business, and. uh you know, and it's funny that we're doing this because, you know, this is the, this year is the year where I've been feeling his loss. You know, I've been feeling the loss of Eddie Van Halen. You know, I think about him all the time. Um, I drive by his street all the time, you know, and every time I do, I think about him, you know, and inevitably, you know, a Van Halen song comes on the radio you know, within 10 minutes. It's just very strange, but you know, it's a hardcore loss, man. It's, it's like for real, you know, like Eddie Van Halen is gone and Jeff Becker gone. Yeah. You know, it, it's like no more. There's no more new music. There's no more, uh, going to see those guys fuck around on their guitars and just do the coolest fucking shit in the world, you know? But yeah, I miss him. I loved him. Still love him. 
love his family. I hope that they're healing and I hope that they're, uh, you know, in it and grieving properly. And, you know, I know they are. I, uh, bring up George Lynch again. I was talking to him earlier this year and he mentioned there are times where he just stops and can't believe that he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I believe that it, it, it's, you know, George in a way probably knew Eddie a lot better than I did. I don't know if they were ever friends, but they certainly played in the same music scene, you know? Um, so I would imagine if you're having a friendly competition in your music scene and one of those guys is Eddie Van Halen, that it makes a big impact on you. You know what I mean? And, uh, so I can imagine, and I know George pretty well, you know, for his, sarcasm and quirkiness and and george lynch isms he's a nice guy yes like he's he's a sensitive guy he's an emotional guy and a great player and that's why he's a great player because he's all those human qualities so i can picture george just stopping in his tracks you know just thinking about a fleeting moment of eddie van halen you know that's, when you, know, you think when you think of Eddie now, like what's the memory that comes back to you? Is it the golfing? Is it the amps that you gave him? What is it? You know, there's there's multiple Eddies when I think about Eddie, and I think that the this is going to sound weird. When he was going through his cancer treatment the first time, I was driving on the 101, and I saw him speeding to the right of me. Um, uh, in his black Mercedes, and he looked like he wasn't in a good mood. Like that, I don't know why that always, maybe because it was a surprise, you know, to see him. Um, but I always think about him flying down the ramp at the forum, and I think about that weird Mercedes thing, and then I get past that, and it's like, I remember this one time, we were playing golf, and it was so fucking windy. I think it was a Braemar, <clears throat> which is kind of in the Malibu Hills, sort of. It was so windy, and I was wearing shorts. I was freezing my ass off, and we kept trying to get over this. Like, it wasn't even 80 yards, man. We were just trying to get over this water thing, and <laughs> we just couldn't do it because of the wind. And first, we were laughing. And then we were all angry, and then we all said "fuck it" and just walked over and started. I don't know why, like, but that's like that's that's the most intense moment, <laughs> you know. And him looking at—I I remember I got my killing machine tattoo on my leg, and he didn't have a tattoo yet. And he goes, "What's that?" I go, "That's a killing machine logo." He goes, "Oh, that's right." He goes, "Why'd you get that tattooed on your body?" Like. That's your side project. That's not even your main band. <laughs> like, like, yeah, you're right. You know, whatever. Then he got like an Amsterdam tattoo or something. But yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I got a lot of memories. Good guy. Thinking back of when you were coming up and how he mentioned you in that article, which, you know, did wonders for you. After he came and after he became this presence in mainstream music, and all the bands in Hollywood were were coming up, right? I mean, they're, they're the ones that started that that Sunset Strip, you know, the Van Halen playing the Troubadour and 
um what's the one though is it uh Gazaris? Gazaris, yeah yeah all those places what was it like kind of coming up in his shadow as a new guitar player with all these other guitar players I was fucking glad he was gone. <laughs> I was glad that he was making records and playing, you know, fucking arenas. And, you know, he was legit. And I still felt like a child, you know, because not only was his presence felt in all the, the clubs and everything, but like his picture was on the side of Gazzari's, you know. So, you know, he was a god and I was mortal. Right. And that's that's what you want. You don't want to be in a music scene, you know, with a guy that's, you know, immortal or God, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, like, all right, okay. You know, Randy and Eddie, they moved on. They're rocking. They're doing their shit. You know, I don't have to compete with Mick Mars. I don't have to compete with Warren D. Martini or George. <laughs> all those bands are gone. And then it was just me and Guns N' Roses and LA Guns and CeCe, who was a fucking brilliant guitar player. Um, And who else was around? There was a guy named Dennis Chick that was really good, but they never went anywhere, whatever band he was in. And, uh, yeah, I don't really know. Right in our time, you know, Dave Navarro was in Jane's. Um, but I think, you know, tr on a traditional kind of guitar, wheedly, wheedly level, I think, you know, Slash and I were kind of the last guys, you know, so and we grew up together. So it wasn't like, you know, I didn't give a shit. He didn't give a shit. We just did our thing, you know, um, uh, but we didn't have any, super monster shredder guys to be bothered with when we were doing our thing. You know, it was just like, I did my best. He did his best and we both did fine. And, um, but then again, yeah, Navarro, you know, definitely Navarro. And then Frusciani, <clears throat> when he joined the peppers, you know, he was a big force still is. I love that guy. Um, you know, but George was already on his way, you know, doing his shit with Dawkin and, and then Cece. You know, CC was the, my other favorite guitarist, you know, in LA at that time. Is there outside of eruption? I should preface that outside of eruption. Is there a riff? Is there a solo that for you defines Eddie? Uh, that's a tough question, man. Um, Oh, fucking Atomic Punk, man. Ice Cream Man and Atomic Punk. Brutal. Just fucking dark energy fire, man. Like, wow. You know, that Atomic Punk solo, I do know how to play that one. But it's so furious. You know, and that was crazy chromatic run at the end, which just sounds so beautiful, but makes no musical sense at all. But it, it makes sense right there. You know, uh, I mean, if you try to figure it out in a scale, you know, <laughs> from a musical kind of perspective, you know, what you learned in class, <laughs> you ain't going to get it, you know? So like those things, but I mean, but there's also stuff on the fourth album, where he was being a little tricksy. I guess, I guess you could call it the Alan Holdsworth era, you know, where he's doing some different stuff, um, with harmonics and his very rhythmic solo style. Um, you know, but to me, really with him, 
It's just knowing that that's him playing. You always knew it was Eddie playing. It didn't matter. You know, if, if Roth was singing or not, he just does it. And you're like, that's Eddie Van Halen. You know, so, but yeah, I mean, there's those few things that really do stick out for me. Maybe because I'm more into the dirty side of guitar playing, you know, and those are the things that are doing a fucking ice cream man solo. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I just think, you know, it's funny when I hear that, I think of myself in the Guns N' Roses studio, uh, which was behind Guitar Center. And I used to just jam in there all the time when we didn't rehearse. And, you know, I would always try to expand blues progressions, you know, and soloing, you know, to that really weird five, fret spread and it just always instantly sounds like ice cream man it's just like but i don't recall anybody ever doing anything like that before ice cream man with blues in the solo section it's just like like whoa where are you going and you hear all those weird notes those work <laughs> i always appreciate too the bottoms up because it's it's in that solo though it's an essence of, uh, in essence, it's a tribute to Billy Gibbons and LaGrange. You know, it's just so like. It's got a little jazz run in it, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's killer. Yeah. Yeah, no, he was very much into Gibbons, wasn't he? Yeah. When you really look at it. And I think that's where a lot of the sense of humor of Van Halen probably is inspired just from ZZ Top. Now that I, now that you put it that way, they were funny guys. You know, they're still funny guys. You know, Roth is out of his mind. I just love watching him now. It's like, wow, you were always for real, man. <laughs> his, uh, his David Lee Roth show is, man, like it is layer upon layer of just like, like it blows your mind watching that stuff. Like what does he do? Like his, that, his perspective is just, just yeah. Incredible. No, I know. I, I I see clips. You know, I mean, I try not to pay attention to anything anymore about anybody. But you know, I do go on Twitter and I see little bits and pieces here and stuff. And you know, I'm trying to fight the good fight because I got kids. You know, that's what I mostly do. Um, but now Roth is he was never faking it, was he? No. He's always that guy. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny Roth story really quick. I was at the Troubadour. I was about 16, 15 or 16. They had their motorcycles parked right in front of the true, right in, in, a, in the red. And I see him sitting in the back of the bar and I walk up, you know, really innocently. I'm like, like, Hey, <laughs> wanted to meet David Lee Roth. Right. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I walked away. He wasn't, he wasn't being friendly to me. So I'm standing outside. You know, I probably had like lipstick on or something. You know what I mean? I was, I was that age, 15, watching Motley Crue. Uh, and then the tow truck pulls up. They're about to put the bikes on the flatbed tow truck. So I walk back in and I'm like, I'm like, hey, he's like, yeah, kid. I'm like, they're going to tow your motorcycles. He's like, oh, fuck. And then I got up. That's how I met Roth. That's the, that was my <laughs> first encounter with Roth. Yeah, the Troube. Man, it seems like yesterday. It's crazy. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, doing these conversations every year about Eddie, 
it, it really is um, because I think I think music fans and musicians all mourn Eddie because he was a part of all of us, and obviously yeah. he wasn't a family member, but his music and his his just influence on our lives just meant so much. And like you said, when when you got ill when he passed, I remember. Yeah. I was making breakfast in the kitchen and my son came in. He's like, Dad, Eddie Van Halen died. And I'm like, You better not be joking. Yeah. Don't be joking like about that. And he's like, No, I'm serious. And I just turned off the oven. I went in my room and uh I just cried. Yeah. And what do, you, what do you do? Yeah. And and uh and then as I came out of it, I hear from my son's bedroom, because I bought him a CD player and a bunch of CDs, playing Van Halen one, playing Eruption. And um, I'll never forget that moment and just being numb for like a couple weeks after. Oh that. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really phenomenal because he he had a celebrity appeal to the public beyond his guitar playing. Like once you knew he was the man, it didn't matter if you played guitar or not. It was like, oh, that's Eddie Van Halen. Look at that guy. Yeah. He's got a nice smile. Blah blah blah. This that and the other. And. uh you know, his, but of course his impact on music, you know, but, but here's one of the things that I always encourage people to do to realize how fantastically human he was as a guitar player. Um, when you watch him do like jamming with other guys, like at the NAM show and stuff, all those videos are on YouTube. You know, you realize for five minutes that he's just a human. You know, because he fucks up and does a terrible tone and, you know, plug him into this and that. And, you know, but when he does his thing, he's immortal, you know, and, but I always loved his human side because I knew him personally and his human side was, even though he's from the Netherlands, but he's a valley boy, man. Yeah. He's a valley kid, you know, and. You know, for those couple of years we were hanging around, you know, I always had some kind of baggy shorts on and like a Hawaiian shirt and, you know, smoking cigs, talking shit, you know, funny as hell, you know, and his voice, you know, hey, <laughs> he just had this voice, you know, like, like, what are you doing? Come over here. Stop it. You know, like, it's like, just like your dude bro friend. You know, he wasn't like, I'm friends with Vi too, but Vi is very eloquent. You know, like he's very, you know, soft and funny and, and, you know, puts his intelligence first when he speaks, you know, and stuff like that. Or Eddie was just like a fucking spark plug, man. <laughs> Loved him. Miss him bad. Well, Tracy, thank you very much for the time and thank you very much for the conversation. This was absolutely wonderful to talk to you about Eddie and share your, thoughts and your stories it's, it's uh it was w way more than i can imagine oh man yeah no this is a pleasure was all mine believe me because you know like i said i miss the guy i love the guy only had great experiences with him love what he did for the world you know um and his memory will live on like a beethoven man it will forever yeah. we'll talk again Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Everyone, that's Tracy Guns from LA Guns. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this special episode about celebrating Eddie Van Halen. And of course, I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. 
Take care of each other. Stay safe, and we will talk soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.